Good morning. Welcome to Mornings with Mac. It's, uh, what day is it? Tuesday? It's Tuesday. <laughs> These days run together for me. Hope you're ready to look in God's Word. We're going to look at the Beatitude of Waiting in the Old Testament. One of the Beatitudes of the Old Testament. And uh, as soon as I told Miss Debbie uh, what the devotion was this morning, she said, well, nobody likes that. Nobody likes to wait. I don't know if you've ever read Henry uh, Nguyen, anything that Henry Nguyen wrote. Uh, great writer, um, great Christian. Uh, just before he died, he wrote a book entitled um, Sabbatical Journey. And in it, he interviewed uh, some of his friends. He had an unusual friendship with a family of trapeze artists. Uh, their names were the Rudellas, not, uh, not, not the 1960 singing group, this, the Rondales. This is the Rudellas. And they told him um, an interesting story about the catcher and the flyer uh, in their trapeze uh, act that they performed all over the world. Um, it happened to be that the flyer is the guy who swings out and up and at the top of the arch lets go. And the catcher is the one who swings over to him and catches him. Now, this is what they told Henry Nguyen. They said uh, that the flyer can never try to catch the catcher, but must be willing to wait for the catcher to catch him. Now, you just stop and think you're, I don't know, 90 feet up in the air and you let go and you just are to wait with your hands up, just wait for somebody to catch you and to resist the temptation to reach out and grab and catch them. Well, that's waiting. That's what waiting feels like. It feels like that I am, you know, at this apex of danger and there is an interminable amount of time uh, that I'm just hanging there in midair waiting for somebody to grab me. Now, science has talked about this, looked at this, studied this. The whole issue of waiting for us is the inactivity in waiting. Now, can you imagine just hanging there for a couple of seconds uh, that high up just waiting for something to grab hold of you. Well, I want to talk to you about the beatitude of waiting. In fact, I want you to look at the Word of God with me this morning at Isaiah chapter 30. Hope you've got a copy of God's Word. Hope you're ready to look at something that really will kind of uh, get a hold of your life because all of us struggle with waiting. I hate to wait. And yet it's something that God constantly takes me to school on. Well, in Isaiah chapter 30, you've got the nation of Judah. And, and Judah, this is about 721 or somewhere in there. Uh, Hezekiah is king of Judah. And uh, the armies of Assyria are coming. Sennacherib and the armies of Assyria have come down now to the city of Jerusalem they have conquered some 42 or 43 different cities of Judah 
in, in coming up to Jerusalem. They've attacked them. They've conquered them. Nothing. I mean, they have just steamrolled. This was a blitzkrieg out of Assyria. And it comes now and the Assyrians gather around the walls. They surround the walls of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, now, what is Hezekiah going to do? Why didn't God stop him back there at Assyria at the border? Why didn't God do something back up there in the land that used to be the 10 northern tribes of Israel? Why didn't God do something when they were on city one or city two or city three or village four or, or town five? Why hadn't God done anything? So instead of waiting on God, like God had instructed what they do is they turn now to Egypt. If you remember in the word of God, let me do this. Let me take you back to Deuteronomy just a moment. And let me read to you something out of Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17, where God speaks to them having brought them out. Deuteronomy 17, verse 16, moreover, speaking of the king of Israel, when Israel would have a king. Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. Don't you ever go back down to Egypt. The whole idea of multiplying horses was to build an army for security, for military. He's, don't you ever go back down to Egypt and put your trust in them, the people who had held you in slavery. Don't you ever go back there to them. Don't ever turn to them. Uh, Leviticus chapter 26 is a great chapter to read uh, on this very thing. Don't ever trust in anybody. God says, trust in me. You wait on me, and I'm going to be the one to deliver you. Now, that's the struggle that we have. So with that background, that's where Judah is right now in Isaiah chapter 30. Look with me. Let me just show you two quick little things here. Number one, uh, we miss God's blessing. We miss God's beatitude when we execute our own plans. Now, let me just read beginning in verse one of Isaiah chapter 30. And you think about that. We miss his blessing. When we execute our own plans, God, I'm going to come up with my own plan here now. I've waited and I can't wait any longer. So I've got a plan and, and God, I'm going to save myself and I'm going to make you look good in the meantime. Now listen to what they do. Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan, but not mine. It's not my plan. And they make an alliance but it's not of my spirit. I didn't lead him to do this. My spirit didn't lead him to do this. And he says this, look at the end of verse one. All you're doing is you're adding sin to sin. You're just digging yourself deeper when you devise your own plan to deliver yourself. Who proceed down to Egypt without consulting me to take refuge in the city of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Now, do you see that? Look at that again, to take refuge and to seek shelter. Those are two words right there used throughout the entirety of the Old Testament to describe what uh, God does for his people. He is their refuge and he is their shelter. 
But now what they're doing is this. Judah now is looking to the Pharaoh to do for them what God has always done for them. God had always proven himself to be their refuge and their shelter. He had always proven himself to be the one who delivers. Now, I want you to listen very carefully. I'm going to read down what I've put in my journal uh, early this morning in just studying this passage. There is something in our human flesh that diminishes the past acts of God and uh, magnifies the present uncertainties that we face. Now, let me say that again. There's something in our human flesh that diminishes the past work, the past deliverance, the past act of God in our lives, but it magnifies, our flesh will magnify the present uncertainty. What it does is this, is somehow we get to the place to where we forget what God has done in saving us and caring for us, and we think we can't wait any longer. Here's a situation, I can't wait on God to deliver me. Uh, I can't, I, I've waited, I've prayed, I've, you know, we, we've spent, you know, 30 seconds in prayer, we waited for five minutes, and God hasn't done something and so we, what we've got to do is we've got to go and save ourselves. We've got to go and we've got to fix the situation ourselves. By the way, let me tell you, that part of our flesh is why you need to be in, in a consistent uh, Bible study of God's word and you need to be in regular worship. You need the preaching of God's word. You need to hear it consistently. You need to hear it constantly over and over. That's why we need church. That's why we need to assemble. That's one of the major reasons is because our flesh forgets what God does so quickly. And we, we think if we wait five minutes, we have waited uh, for eternity and we've got to go. We've got to go and make a plan for ourselves. In the flesh, there is always some plausible alternative to trusting God. My flesh is going to come up with all these alternative reasons why I don't need to keep waiting on God, but what I need to do is come up with a plan and do something myself. Now listen to what God says here. Back to Isaiah 30, verse 3. Therefore, the safety of Pharaoh will be your shame and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt, your humiliation. When you come up with your own plans to accomplish what you want to accomplish, God says this, it will be your shame and it will be your humiliation. I've seen that happen in a lot of churches. I've seen that happen with a lot of pastors who came up with their own plan of how... Um, you know, they were going to do things, how they were going to accomplish what they were, were telling everybody else was the will of God. And uh, it was their plan all along. And the shame in that is they were humiliated. They were ashamed. Uh, let me show you the positive part of this now. This is what I want to get you to. And it's verse 18. Verse 18 is the hinge in this entire chapter. This whole chapter turns at verse 18. And I want you to see that the word, wait, that verse is the hinge. And in that verse, the operative word is the word wait. It's used three times. 
It's translated, now I'm in the New American Standard, the NASB. It's translated two times, long for, to long for something, and one time to wait for something. I want you to listen to the verse, and then I'll go back and I'll I'll explain it. God's blessing, now notice what it's saying. And it's saying this, God's blessing comes to those who wait on him. If you can wait on him, you experience the beatitude of waiting, the blessing of what is there anything blessed about waiting? Well, look at the verse. Verse 18, Isaiah 30. Therefore, the therefore, you, you know the saying, what is the therefore, therefore? Therefore, because of everything that's been said, because you have turned it to Egypt, because you've gone to them for your refuge, because you've looked to them for your security, for your shelter. Because of that, look, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. Now let me just read it to you this way. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who wait on him. Now look at these two things right here. God's desire. What is God's desire? He longs, he waits to be gracious to you. Now this is an interesting statement here. If you look at this, listen to what it's saying. It says that while you uh, are unwilling to wait on God. He is waiting on you to start waiting on him. Now, did you get that? The Lord waits for you to start waiting on him, to stop all of this other stuff, all of your other plans. He, he waits, he longs. That's one way to translate the word wait in the Hebrew. He longs, he's, he's desiring for you to wait on him. Listen, let me tell you something. We don't ever think about this, but God wants to do more for you than you can possibly imagine. That's his desire. Well, what does he wait to do for you? To be gracious. That's what he says right here. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He waits on you until the moment when you're waiting on him so then he can be gracious to you. Why? Because he has compassion for you. He loves you. You know, Deb and I have three children. We had those children out of love. We we love those children uh, more than we can explain. And we have 14 grandchildren. And we love those grandchildren beyond description. Uh, and listen, we, we're imperfect. Jesus said, if an imperfect human fleshly father knows how to give good gifts, he says, how much more a loving, sovereign, heavenly father wants to give? God, God loves you. God has a compassion for you. And in the middle of your running around like a chicken with its head cut off, trying to solve all your problems, A patient, loving, sovereign God waits on you to wait on him. Wow, what a God. He wants to be gracious to you. Now look at how he's going to be gracious. Uh, Let me give you these and, and wrap this up very quickly. Watch it, what he says now. 
He waits on you. How blessed are those. Verse 19, O people in Zion, inhabitant in Jerusalem, you will weep no longer. He will surely be gracious to you. Do you hear that? He will surely, this is the prophet speaking now. He will surely be gracious, gracious to you at the sound of your cry. He hears you. When he hears it, he will answer you. That is, God waits, and the moment that you, the, the very moment that you say, now, God, I'm waiting on you, you he, he hears, and he's going to answer. Look at this in verse 20. He's not going to hide himself from you. Although the Lord has given you bread of privation and water of oppression, he, your teacher, I love that statement, he, your teacher, will no longer hide himself, but your eyes will behold your teacher. Uh, God's trying to teach you something in the middle of the waiting, and he's not going to hide himself from you. When God responds, listen, he will allow you to see that it's the hand of God in your life. The third thing is this. He'll give you direction. You'll hear. This is a verse that before I went to First Baptist Church of Dallas, God spoke to me one night. I couldn't sleep, got up out of the bed, went down, got on the sofa, and uh, trying to sleep kind of in and out of a fitful sleep, trying to determine God's will for my life. Should I leave High Point, North Carolina, and go to Dallas to be pastor there? God spoke these words. Your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right or to the left. Now, I didn't get some different message. I got a verse. And this was the verse that God spoke to me. You, you will hear. God will let you hear. God will give you direction. And look at this. In verse 22, you'll defy. This is courage now. The word of God comes, and when the word of God comes, when you're waiting on God, he answers you. You see that it's God, and he gives you direction. Then he gives you the courage to make the decision, to make the decision to turn loose of all the things you've been holding, to turn loose of all the plans. Have you ever stopped to think that some of your plans are idols in your life? Listen to what he says. You will defile your graven images overlaid with silver and your molten images plated with gold. You will scatter them as an impure thing. I'll throw my plans away and I will say to them, be gone. Listen, I'm having a hard time just sitting in this seat right now. I'm telling you, there is a blessedness in waiting on God. They discovered something not long ago, just a couple of years ago. They had all these theories about how the Titanic was sunk. Uh, but when they got down and they looked at the ship and they got some, they brought things back up from the boat. They brought back up some of the little rivets that had been used. And what they discovered was this, the, the rivets that literally held the steel plates of the ship together. In making a steel rivet or a bolt. Intense heat is used to heat that up. You know that process. We look at that. We describe that as the trials that we go through. I'm going through a trial. God, I've got to make my own plan. I'm going through the heat. God, I've got to, I've got to take hold of this. And what we do is we short circuit the process of what God's trying to do in your life. You think, okay, I've been through the heat long enough. Now this has got to end. Do you understand that the cooling down process is as important as the heating process? The intense fire serves one purpose, 
But for those rivets, that piece of steel to cool down over an extended period of time does this. It, it uniformly strengthens through that bolt, through that rivet. If you hasten the waiting process, the cooling down process, microscopic fissures, fractures will course through that piece of steel. That's what happened to the Titanic. It was not just the gash in the side. It was that these rivets fractured, they popped, and those steel plates came loose. So they discovered that the real problem were these microscopic, unseen little fractures in the bolts because they hastened the waiting process, the cooling down process. Let God, the Bible says, have his perfect work, perfect work in you. The heat serves a part, purpose, but the cooling down process, the waiting process, has a purpose as well. It strengthens you throughout your whole life, throughout your whole spirit. Not just in this area. I need strength in this area. We need strength in every area. And the waiting on God process builds that into your life. Blessed are those 